This is the More Than Work podcast, where we talk all about how to gain more satisfaction in your job. It's possible to enjoy your life and your work, because business is personal. Hey, More Than Workers. There's this big search going on right now, and you're hearing about it in the news, and you're reading about it online, and it's this idea of what all companies are searching for, and what are they searching for? They're searching for talent. We've got to find more talent. If we don't have the talent that we need, we're not going to be able to grow this company. I need to bring more talent onto my team. Jack Welch, famous CEO from GE, used to talk about talent. And he used to say, talent is this rare thing that our company has to search the world. We have to scour the world. We have to be out in the deserts and out in the forests and top the mountains to look for this rare talent. These great people that we can bring into our organizations to lead us into the future. We at PeopleCentric don't subscribe to that idea. So what if talent isn't rare? What if the idea that talent is special and unique and weird is a myth? What if that's a talent myth? Uh, What if the talent truth is that talent is everywhere? Talent is all around us, that you listening to us right now are incredibly talented and your team that you may go drive home and be frustrated with and say, why does my team do the things they do? Maybe they are incredibly talented as well. And maybe there is talent around every corner if you just know how to look for it and then how to unleash it. So today we're going to talk about the talent myth and joining us as always is our people-centric team of Diana Royalty, Mary Ling, Bethany Taff, Don Harkey, myself, and our host, the Matt Griswold. I had to add the V again. <laughs> well, you got to put a quarter in it. Put a quarter uh, in it. <laughs> you don't know what that means. Go back and listen to our last podcast. To our last we, talked, episode. We, we got to use that several times. And maybe, maybe even more to come. Hey, everybody. Good to see you. Uh, let's talk about this uh, idea of talent myth. We've, we've talked about, you know, several times uh, over the last several podcasts about this idea of great resignation and people leaving in droves. And, and you know, kind of like Don talked about, there's, there's a surplus of people. And, and organizationally, you might be thinking, oh, man, we've lost a lot of people. Or some organizations are going, mm, maybe there's this treasure trove of people that are just waiting for me to find them. And this is part of the conversation that we're going to going to have. And I think that's maybe a good place to start there. We're going to uncover maybe from like a, an ownership business, business owner's perspective, organizationally, how are they viewing talent? How are they viewing the approach to be able to find talent? And then managerial, what if you're a manager right now listening to it, what can I do to help, you know, maybe go out and find talent or uh, perhaps uncover some of the talent that I have. And maybe you're an employee listening to this. You're driving to your job right now and you're you're sitting there like Don just talked about. You know what? I'm full of talent and they just don't even know it yet. What are some of the things that I could potentially do to help un- uncover or discover my own talent along the way? So let's talk organizationally. What's the typical approach of an organization whenever they they see the numbers? Maybe they see, I don't know if it's a retention number, maybe it's a production number, a quality number, and they're going, man, we, we need more talent. What's the typical response, I guess, organizationally that we see from business owners going, I've got I've to go and attract more talent? I think what we see a lot of business owners do then is they try to go out the outside. Like, let's look at other teams. Let's look, let's recruit. Let's talk to other businesses. Let me look for employees that I covet at other companies. And I'm going to actively try to reach out to them to try to pull them onto my team. 
Uh, it tends to be a very external action is what we see. I think a lot of companies do. Yeah. And I think for, for a lot of those owners too, that, you know, maybe the, maybe the thought process is surely if I had the talent here, I would have already known about it. Surely it would have risen to the top by now. And sometimes here's maybe one of the truth bombs that we will, uh, that we will throw out there right off the bat here. Truth bomb. Uh, we need some sort of a noise icon, you know, like some of those, you know, like some sort of a bing. Uh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Here's your truth bomb there. I don't know. I, I would argue that maybe you haven't done a good enough job of being able to cultivate the type of environment to allow talent to rise to the top. I don't know that we have given people the opportunity to be able to help them discover and manage them and lead them in a way that motivates them to be awesome, to be able to share some of the talents with you. Maybe your leadership style has put them into a position of kind of this robotic behavior. They have their job, they have their spot, they have the things that they do, they're accountable for those things. And they're, it's almost this very transactional relationship now that you have with your employees and, and they are in that mindset. Not, not because, you know, that, that you meant to do it or, or not even saying that they don't even appear to be happy, but we have not given them the opportunity to be able to uncover some, some of that talent too. So I would agree with you organizationally. We, we typically go, I have got to go and find because clearly I don't see it. Look at these results here. I would like to take a step back though, because there are some, are some things that I also think organizationally that we don't do, don't do super well either. Whenever I'm going to get talent, how often do we see organizations blindly going, blindly going to be able to just get whatever talent that they can see or whatever people that they can see without maybe a good game plan ahead of time of understanding what it is that I actually need. And maybe, I don't know if anybody has thoughts on that, but but that's probably the first step is I think sometimes organizations don't understand what it is that they need or the missing pieces that they need. And maybe we can start there. Yeah. And Mary, I was, I was kind of looking to you. I know Bethany also just kind of jumped out here, but Mary from the HR world, you know, I know you've seen like those approaches and uh, the flipping the question a little bit too for Matt is like, what do you see in terms of how could you align that hiring process to know more about what kind of talent you're bringing in? Yeah. So I think, you know, knowing specifically what the role clarity is and then scanning your company to see if you've got anybody who has that potential. Sometimes people will just do such a high level scan and be like, we don't have that potential here instead of growing that potential. You know, that's something I, I that we see often. And so they just immediately say, I want this person. Now we're just going to go get them instead of spending the time and, you know, the resources to grow those people in their company. Um, when that talent, like you said, is already right there. That's great. I, I like it to be, it's, it seems easier to be able to just go and, and grab it, but then there's this cost to, to hiring. There's a cost to training. There's a up, you know, a time to be able to bring people up to speed, you know, and, and the person that's already there, they're one up because the loyalty factor, they're already there. They're coming to work for you every day. And that's hard to be able to find somebody, you know, to, to, who's already kind of loyal to the company. Anyway, they, they continue to show up. Bethany, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Did you have anything you'd like to add? No, I think it's good, but I think, you know, I think having kind of doing that talent audit internally is something that you can be doing all the time, not just when you're looking for um, a new position. I think making sure you have a good understanding of kind of the players on the field at, at all at all moments so you know how to easily shift and, and you know what position you need to look for. We've had to do that before where we where we thought we needed a certain type of position within um, people centric. 
And then really we sat down and we were like, you know what, I think we're actually looking for the wrong type of physician. And so, because we were able to understand and look at, you know, the talent that we already had on our team and then some of the things that we were missing and it adjusted what we were actually looking for. So making sure if you have that understanding up front, that might change the position that you're actually looking for internally as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Diana. I've seen a lot of employers also become way too narrow in what they're looking for. Like, oh, I need someone that knows this specific software, or I need someone that can do this exact thing. When instead, I think they should be saying things like, I need people who can learn really easily, or I need people that can take on big challenges. I mean, if we started our company and said, you know, we need someone who can survive through a pandemic and work lean and mean, like that's a really weird specific thing to ask for. And none of us would have known how to get that, (laughs) but all of us did it. Right. And it was because we used our, our strengths and grew on each other and, and lived through it. We didn't narrow down and hire someone specifically to know how to work with bankers during the PPP process. Right. It was like, we hire people that want to learn and have a initiative and, and some grit to them because that's important in our company. So I think narrowing it is something that a lot of employers do. And we probably need to broaden those things. That's great. Yeah. I think it's funny because when you talk about talent, like I need to go hire talent. Uh, Many times when we talk with clients, they don't really know what they mean by that. And so they'll either do one of two things. They'll do what Diana talked about where they will get hyper-specific suddenly. I need somebody that is incredibly good at this very, very, very specific thing. And then they dive in too deep or they become a little bit too broad with it. And then they say, well, what are you looking for? I'm just looking for a highly driven person who's incredibly organized, who manages their time really well, but also very visionary and can come up with a lot of things. Who really understands numbers, design and good look, good, how, how to make things look really well. And all, and then they just, they describe this person that doesn't exist. Why like, exist? You oh. just. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Sorry. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. To, I, you're welcome. I have arrived. Diana already works here, so. <laughs> you- <laughs> well, that's good, Bethany. What were you gonna add? <laughs> it reminds me. I don't know if we've told this story. I'll do my best to. We won't share the name of the company, but there was a company that we worked with recently, and 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 this they had somebody come in who had applied for this job, and it was a plumbing job, and the person who came in had previously been a nurse and there was this very, I I think we've shared this before, but maybe we've only talked about it internally anyways. And they were very, you know, struck by like, that's really weird. Why would she, you know, want to come apply for this job? She's very overqualified. And I remember me and Don were both like, what are you talking about? This is amazing. You know, like she, she might not have this, you know, specific skill set yet, but I would, be willing to bet that she could take, take it on pretty easily. And so anyways, it just, it, that, that story was, came to mind as we're talking about this. I like, I like, I don't want to go back two steps there, but uh, Bethany, you had talked about this idea of uh, the talent review, right? And this might be something that organizations are doing already, a talent review. You might be working with an organization or you own the organization to where, yes, we do talent reviews on a regular basis. And a lot of organizations treat that as how you feel. What do you want to do? Where do you see yourself in five years? You know, and it's kind of a pulse check of what are the things that you want to accomplish? Or you can also find out, nope, I'm probably going to retire within the next 12 months, or I'm going to move on. It's not, I don't feel well-placed. 
and it really just gives you some good knowledge to be able to understand what you, you know, the players that you have on the field right now. Uh, so then you can manage them appropriately. We have a check-in process that we work to install with organizations to just to create intentional one-on-one conversations from manager to employee. So whether you're doing something like that or the, the talent review process, something to engage that person individually to find out maybe where they are mentally with the job. What is it that they want to do? Do they feel like, you know, maybe a good question during that, if we're talking about talent is, do they feel like they have an opportunity to work within their strengths in their current role? And if not, what are some of the strengths that maybe you know for yourself that I don't know that I would love to know that you think you could even help us be better at? I think that's a great, uh, great question. And we can, you know, talk about, uh, we can talk about that too. So. Yeah, I think, um, I think, I think my experience is a comment on that a little bit, Matt, is that if you ask a team who can do this and someone raises their hand and says, I think I can, they're probably right. And it may not be that they can do it right, right away. It may need, they need some extra support to be able to do something. But for the most part, when people confidently say, yeah, put me in coach, like they're probably going to do pretty well. Yeah. I think the other side of that, and maybe it's just worth saying, just because somebody continues to do it and they are do well at it does not mean they like doing it. That's also something for ownership to be aware of. Sometimes we pigeonhole people into roles because we feel like they love to do that. They always do that for us. This is them. And doesn't mean they love it. Uh, and so you might be creating a disengaged employee and not even know it. Yeah. We did, I talked to somebody a while ago who works for a company and is very, very well thought of inside that company. And she's, she's doing great and she's got a great attitude and she's aligned with the company and she's engaged and everything else. And in talking with her, one of the things that she said, she's like, of course, I probably will find a new job here in the near future. And yeah. I said, well, like, like, well, why? And they said, well, they're just not using me. What they're having me do is not something I like to do. I'm good at it. I don't mind helping them. I'm glad to help them, but it's not really what I wanted to do in the first place. And so I said, well, what did you want to do? And so she, she described what she wants to do. And it's something that would be beneficial for the company. So the question that I imagine some, I'm, I'm kind of picturing some of you listeners out there who maybe own companies or are managers of companies of like, well, how do I know what my people want to do? We're here to tell you that you have an expert on the topic of what your people want to do. And they are your people. You have to talk with them. Uh, I think you know, Matt and Bethany both said the same thing. If you are checking in with them and you are asking them, tell me what's going on. How are you feeling about the job? Then the highly engaged employee can tell you, hey, I, I'm glad I could help in this area, but I really wanted to do these other things. And then when they have that conversation, and then if you have the opportunities for those other things, then boom, you've discovered some different talent on your team and you're not going to lose somebody who's a, who's a key player. Yeah. Yeah. Before we go into the managerial level, I wanted to, I, it struck me because I, I think I heard a population of people that are listening to the podcast as they're driving down the road and they're listening to this. And Don is describing, yes, organizationally owners are like, I got to go search the world over for talent. I got to have the specific talent. You know, this is what I'm specifically looking for. And I can just hear this, I don't know, this laughter uh, from certain owners in the room going, are you serious? Like, I don't know. They, they just have to fog a mirror, Don, that whole approach too. Like, I don't, talent. I don't have time to be able to waste. There's not, I don't, I didn't need people. I need workforce. I need manpower, which is where I think a lot of people are right now. We hear this doesn't matter what type of industry and it doesn't matter where you're located in the country. For the most part, we're hearing like, I don't have, I'm not on the great talent search that you're talking about. I just need people, but there's also a detriment. If that's the line that you're holding yourself to as an owner, then you're probably going to reap what you sow. 
So there's a detriment. If that is what you're looking for, that's probably exactly what you're going to find. What's the, maybe talk about that. And Don, you might be good to, to talk about this too. What's the detriment. If that's the line that I have made for myself, what am I missing out on? And you know, what are the potentials that I could be growing in? If I do take a step back and just say, I'm not going to take the first person that walks in and it might be a little bit before the next one does, but what am I trying to protect by doing that? And I think what you're talking about is the spiral that we see a lot, right? And it's understandable. So if you're listening to this, thinking to yourself, talent, forget talent, right? Just like what you said, I'm not worried right. about talent. I just need people. You, you are in a pro, you have a problem. And I get the problem as I need, I need bodies and I can't find bodies. I don't have enough people. I think we've all had the experience, especially the last few months here during the great resignation of going to a restaurant and the restaurant's closed. Mm-hmm. on a time where they normally be open. And there's a sign on the wall that says we can't, we didn't have enough people today to open the restaurant. That That's a real problem. And that's happening in businesses. That's not just happening in restaurants and service businesses. That's happening in manufacturing. That's happening in some business service companies we've seen. I mean, it's happening more and more and more. So if you're in that spot, you just think, no, 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 I just want people to come in. Then the, then the focus is just, well, I'm, you've, like you said, fog the mirror, you come in. Well, then you just fog the mirror, come in. I'm not expecting you to have the talent. I'm not looking to unleash the talent. You're going to have disengaged people and sometimes toxic people. And then the people that come in are going to work with those disengaged toxic people, which are going to create them, make them disengaged and toxic. And you're going to just be in the spiral, right? I'm bringing people Customers in. are going to be unhappy too. <laughs> Yeah. You're going to start seeing quality issues. Everything's going to start to spiral. And so, so it's like, how do I break out of this? How do I stop this? We just had a good conversation with one of our clients recently who finally just said, I'm going to take a leap. I'm going to take a leap. And they had it. They were in the spiral and they had a couple of employees inside that were just really, really toxic on their team and really pushing its direction. And despite lots of efforts to get them aligned, they, they could, they just felt like they couldn't move because they needed the people. Well, they finally decided that even though we need the people really badly, we're going to go ahead and say, we're going to let these folks go. And they let go two people. And they said, suddenly, like, first of all, everybody else on the team picked up that extra load, like happily. It was like a renaissance that has occurred. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly when they're going to hire people, they are finding out the people that they're going to come in to hire are like more interested in coming into the team. Because what we know is that three-fourths Three-fourths of people before they go to apply for your job, talk to somebody who already works there to find out what it's like. Mm -hmm. So they already knew that those toxic people were there and they also found out that they left. So you have to break the cycle. And I get it. That's it's like, well, I've got to have somebody standing at the counter taking the order today. You know, if it's the wrong person doing that and they're going to pollute the team, then don't do that. Don't do that. Go back to focusing on the talent, figuring out how can I engage the people that already work for me so that they can get excited about working here so that other people, when they come onto the team, also are excited about working here. That's how you break that. There's a little bit of a leap in that, but I can't think of any time. I'll throw this out to everybody. Can anybody on this, we've seen that play run several times. Can anybody remember a time where somebody was shorthanded, but fired somebody who was toxic and it didn't have a positive impact on the team? Can anybody remember a time where it didn't have a positive impact? Everybody's shaking their no. hands. On that. Yeah. No, I could think of three success stories right off the top of my head, but not Same. the negative ones. Yeah. It's, it's a hard, it is a hard place to get to. It's hard to get to that place to convince yourself that that is true. I get that. I'm sure I'm sure at five people and, and a lot of times the one that's really toxic, sometimes they're the most, they might be the most productive person. They're the fastest at taking orders, but they have a terrible, they, they spit out other employees. Like they're it's, it's, those are hard decisions to make. Those are leaps 
But if you are, if you're in the moment right now, you're like, I'm not talking about talent. I'm not even worried about talent. I'm just worried about manpower. You're going to be worried about manpower for a long time. I tell you the hardest ones for those that I've seen to get to get rid of those and those sit in that situation, the toxic person that, that I feel like I'm paralyzed. I can't do it. It's not even the manpower. It's those people who are in sales that that money feels, it feels like I can't get rid of that person. They're my top salesperson. We're going to go under if I lose that person. They have so many relationships. They have so much knowledge or they, they hold so much of our books or, or if, if that person's performance, maybe if my, if my uh, scorecard is dependent on that person's performance, it's going to be hard for me to also get rid of that person. Cause it, I mean, they suck to be around, but, and they're toxic, toxic, but at least they're feeding the scorecard. Right. And so maybe that's a structural thing. We talk about our, our organizations as machines and you're, you know, you're getting the outcome that your, your, your machine is giving you the outcome that it's designed to give you, right. You've built the machine uh, incorrectly. If we're talking about from a hiring perspective here, taking a look at the machine, if people are leaving in droves, or if you've lost a lot of people, my first inclination should not be to go, I need to replace all of these people because then you're feeding those people back into the machine that was broken in the first place is, is another way to, to, to look at that. Maybe my first step is to take a step back and say, what is continually making this happen? What, what part of this machine do I need to fix before I feed somebody else into it and just burn them out quickly as well? So Don? The other, the other piece is if you're the employee who's listening to this, who is on the team, who is struggling and trying to keep up with all of this stuff, and you're starting to get negative and you come into work every day and you're the one that has the bad attitude and you start telling everybody, well, this company doesn't hire enough people and we're never going to be successful here. You're the person we're talking about. Yeah. You're feeding the problem. Like you're not making it better by telling everybody else how bad it is. Mm -hmm. like work on, like do it better, do your job better, do your job, have a better attitude about it. If you do that, you might see the team start to transform and you might become a place that people prefer to work at. Uh, you can have a big impact. You can't change as an employee what management does, but you sure can change how you lead your team. So let's go a little more hands-on here, talking about like maybe the management level, the direct manager level or the leadership level there within an organization. Because I think managers, you know, we have an opportunity to be able to do a lot of leadership development. We're in front of a lot of middle managers and frontline managers and things. And, and they echo the sentiments quite a, quite a bit, actually, of the leadership that they report to. So the first layer that we talked about, it's not uncommon that they're going out to look for talent. It's not uncommon for those frontline managers and middle managers to also have the same narrative. Like, I need to go out and hire more people instead of first looking at the players that I have on the field do I need to redistribute do I need to up train those types of things but maybe talk about the differences between some of the managers that we've seen because the good ones and I don't know if you have an example of this that we've seen but the good ones that's not their first effort I think they're in the background they're looking for talent you know on the in the background there I am doing that but I'm also working on my team right now you know we have this philosophy of good managers play chess and not checkers Maybe talk about that. Does somebody want to take a stab at that? Yeah, the idea, you know, the chess checkers analogy, which I think is really good, is the idea of checkers is every piece does the same thing. Right. And sometimes people manage a team thinking that everyone does the same thing. I can plug and play different people in different roles, and it's just what it's what I've got. The manager that plays chess recognizes that every piece does something a little different, and they have their own different unique uses. Good managers then have to understand what their pieces do. If you want to get good at chess, you have to understand how do you use a pawn versus how do you use a queen versus how to use a rook versus how to use a knight. A good manager, first of all, focuses on learning what are, what do I have? And you really can't, you can learn some of that in the hiring process, but you can't learn all of that. Once somebody comes in onto the team, I think it's a constant exploration for quite a while 
of like, tell me what you can do. What can you hit out of the park? What can you, what can you work on? What can you lead a team on? Because I think mm -hmm. it's also self-discovery too, for the individual, they may not even be aware and know what they can, what they're bringing to the table. So the good managers spend time trying to really learn and working with their each employee to learn like what 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 kind of piece are you? How, what moves can you make? Let's learn a little bit more about what what talents you bring to the team. So I want to take that to the next step and open it up for everybody here too, because if I'm a manager that's playing checkers, it's probably easy to see the type of team that I have. You know, the way Don described it, a manager playing checkers versus chess. You know, checkers, everybody kind of does the same thing. It's probably easy to see what type of team I have if I'm playing checkers with my people. Don talked about playing chess with my people, understanding the differences that they have. So from a managerial perspective, from the leadership's perspective, it's like, oh, I can improve productivity if I shuffle these pieces. I can improve, you know, quality if I shuffle these pieces. But what does that, if, I, if I'm a manager playing chess, what does that do for my employees that are on that team too? How does that employee react to the manager playing chess, so to speak, with that group? Well, Diana? I, think, I think I'm going to brag on Don a little bit. I think a lot of people wonder how we're such a small team and can cover the entire country, right? And it's partly because, hopefully, Don and I are playing chess all the time, right? We're constantly thinking about what's coming next. We got, we really want to know all of the strengths of all of our team and make sure that's very clear to everybody else so that. We all know what we're good at and where we can play and what we can do for each other. I think we also focus very much on communication and and sharing that kind of stuff and making sure everyone is clear on things. But it's not always about it's not always about the process. It's not always about finding someone new. Sometimes it really is like, hey, what do you want to do? Diana, yeah. do you want to learn something new? Do you want to take on a bigger project? Do you want to be in marketing? Like what space do you want to live in? And I'll create that for you and it's going to help the company, but it's also something that you want. So I think it's, it's, it's knowing the strengths, but also developing and understanding where your people want to go. Yeah. That's great. I think, I think even just to put some more like, so specifically kind of like, what does that look like? You can't just go to employees and say like, which role did you really want to have? <laughs> and then they just pick it out and then you just put them in that spot, right? Just like in chess, you can't say, well, the queen's really powerful and then just slide her all the way across the board, knock out the king and win the game. That's not how the rules of the game work. Like you have to move pieces into position over time and you have to think about that. And I think that's why the managers play chess analogy is so powerful. Like I'll use Matt as an example. Like Matt, you know, when you, we hired Matt in, we didn't hire him in thinking like he would play any role in the sales team. We didn't hire him in thinking that he would do keynote presentations or things like that. We hired him to work with these clients and that's, what, that's where he's going to focus. In our discussions and just watching Matt and how he interacted, we said, you know, I'll bet you'd be pretty good at this. And Matt's said, Matt shared that I have always wanted to do keynote presentations. I've always wanted to be able to go do those kinds of things. And then as we started thinking about how can we really work to improve our sales and everything, it was like, man, we're looking for this type of personality and we have that on our team here. <laughs> it's Matt, like, could we plug Matt into some of those roles? And so what's, what's been happening is over the last, you know, especially the last year, but really last couple of years, Matt's taking on, he's doing more keynote speech. He did his first big keynote speech last year and it was a, it was a huge hit. And, and now he's starting to give me pointers on how to do keynote speeches and books and things like that. So he's yeah. trying to help me to get better at it. Thank you, Matt, for mentoring me on all of that. 
but and and starting to help with sales more. And I mean, so it's like we're starting to shift that and he's having a lot of success in all of those areas. And so it's just so that's that's awesome. You know, Bethany has been doing a lot of the same things. Bethany's been with us for 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 three years, three years now. Right. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Is that? It'll be, it'll be three years in August, yeah. I think. Yeah. Three Almost years. Yeah. three years coming up. You know, when Bethany came in again, it was like, I'm going to put you in this engagement specialist role, the same role as Matt starting off, same role, like manage these clients, work through these different things. Bethany says, you know, I really like the one-on-one conversations. I like the relationships. I like to be able to help people to figure out how they can move themselves forward. She also really likes the strategic side of how do I drive these clients? So we've been moving more clients towards Bethany to say like strategically, where do we drive those? And can you work with the executive teams to help them to figure out how to structure their organizations? And then can you coach people along the way and leverage your strengths to be able to plug that in? And I think that's it's so the jobs kind of evolved on our team for everybody. Diana's job has evolved probably the most of anybody coming in. Started off helping out in the office side, has worked in the client side, has worked in the the, uh, the operations side. Like we cannot find a place to put Diana where she's gonna, oh no, that's, I guess that's not what I'm trying to say. Uh, I thought you were gonna say- doesn't succeed. Yeah, that's what I thought you were gonna say. Like we can't find a place where she's not awesome. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's where you're going. Diana that's playing the role of Matt today. Put the quarter in. Put the quarter in. Put the quarter in. Just ask her. Ask her. She'll tell you. But Uh, I also think that has led to us being happier employees, right? Because it's not so monotonous. We get to keep taking on new challenges. We get to explore the things that we like to explore. And I think that keeps us motivated and engaged even as we go on and in our careers, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, to go back to the conversation we were having before about even hiring with this too, like, you know, you're talking, Don, you're talking about Matt being interested in sales and things like that and taking that on and doing more speaking and all of that. And I, you know, I don't know if there, if this has been something that has been brought up even before I started at People Centric too, but we know that like sales is not a position we need to hire for right now because you've had those conversations with Matt and you knew those were things that he was interested in. We had the players on the field to be able to do those things. So yeah, that's exactly I like, right. I like the whole conversation there. And, and, you know, Diana, you had just talked about, but you're also going to get a more engaged employee and uh, an employee that's more loyal. And that's, you know, that's really where I was ultimately kind of driving towards. If I'm a, ch- a manager that's playing chess with my folks, managerial organizationally, Yes, I might be able to be more efficient and productive and better quality and stuff like that. Those are the the things that excite me. But you're also what you're doing. You didn't set out with the culture club or the motivation club or anything like that. But what you're also doing is you're creating a culture where employees are becoming more engaged because you're helping to align them uh, within the strengths that they're doing. That was not the goal that the manager probably had. The goal was, how do I become more efficient? How do I open my eyes to see the things that I need to hire for? Those types of things. But the ripple effect is you have drastically improved the culture on the team that you have by by doing that too and understanding their unique abilities and making sure that they're aware of it as well. Diana? Yeah. I mean, I I always tell people that I love people-centric. I love our mission. I love our vision. I love our values. But I was clear with Don in the beginning that if I'm not learning and I'm not growing, I probably don't want to be here anymore. Like I'm the kind of person that needs the the constant feeding. I kind of want challenges. I like to take on new things. And so I I always said, like, if I'm not learning, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get tired and I'm gonna move on. And he has been really good about saying, like, okay, what's next for you? And instead of him having to figure out what's next for me, he says, here's where I think the company's going, here's what I think is happening. 
where can you fit in best? What do you want to do? And how can you learn and help us and help you all at the same time? And I think it's kept me, I mean, I'm going on 10 years. So I think it's kept me, you know, because of that it's I've stayed here because of that, because it's not just about the company. It's also about me as a person. Yeah. I love how you also stated like using the chess analogy. Again, you can't just focus on the pieces on the board. You have to also know what the board looks like. So you have to know what the company really needs. Like, what do we need in terms of roles? And we see a lot of companies not focus enough time on that too. So like we've seen, I've seen executives, honestly, who don't know much about the pieces or the board. They just know they want to win the game. And they're just, they're just, they're just saying, I need to know, I want to win the game. Well, like, well, then you have to learn how the game is played. You have to look at the board and then you have to be able to figure out what the pieces can do. And it's a balance of both of those things. Yeah. I know Mary, you, you were off mute there as well. What would you add? Yeah. So I go back to what Diana said and where the, you know, the employees are becoming disengaged when they're not, or, or they're more engaged when the managers are involving them in things. And so when you're having those conversations, it's really powerful asking them what they want to do next and where they want to go. But that can be kind of scary for the employee too, because here they've come into a job and they've just done what they've learned and known And they're like, okay, so now my boss wants to know where I'm going. Okay. Does that mean they want to get rid of me? So that conversation can be kind of scary unless you're having those conversations, one-on-one check-ins and making sure that this is not a scary conversation. I want to know what you want to do so we can keep you here and we can keep you moving forward with our company and keep them engaged and aligned. That's a great perspective too. We're talking about the employees stance. Now we started with the owners and the, you know, the, the, the business owners there, the manager level. Let's touch on that employee level that Mary just brought up there too. It could be a scary conversation if, if the cadence is not continually going. In fact, managers, if you're like, yep, I'm going to give this a try. Let me just preface this by saying your first meeting is probably going to be filled with, I don't know, like you're the boss. What I don't What do you want to do? I don't know what I was hired to do. I don't know. What are you, why are you asking me these things? It's an intimidating, can be an intimidating thing. And so it might have to be a repeated behavior before the employee can branch out. But what that, what about that employee? That's like, okay, guys, like what's something that I can do to help myself? Cause I know I don't work for a manager that is ever, ever, they don't even listen to this podcast. They're never going to ask me this question that you're trying to get them to ask me. I would love to have the conversation, but I don't think they're ever going to ask me like, is there a proactive move that maybe some of the employees can do in order to, help drive that from, from their role, Don. Yeah, I was going to, let me add, I'm going to go back to one point you made earlier, just really quickly as a manager, like, how do you walk somebody through that? And and what Mary said is, I think what you do is small moves. It's not like, I'm going to put you in this completely different role tomorrow. What do you want to do? I think it's, let, let me just expose you to some situations. Let me have you come to this meeting or let me have you just play this role for an hour or, or shadow this person. I think you can do little bits of things to kind of, to, to play you know, if you're the employee and you're trying to figure out like, okay, I've, I've got more, I feel like I've got more in me than what management is seeing, then I think it's the same kind of advice for you. It's small moves. You could go to, I, when, I, when I was at 3M as an engineer, there was a moment where I said, I see so many things that I think I could help this company do. I put all of those things into an email and I sent it to the CEO. I would- How did that go over, Don? Uh, <laughs> it went great. I own my own company now. The future is great <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> for me. We're at the same level now. Yeah, no, that didn't go well. You know, it's it's too much. It was just I was trying to make it too big of a leap. And I honestly, like, if if the CEO, like, I look at it this way now. If the CEO had said, "Oh my gosh, I've been looking for the answers, and this is it," 
Great. Thanks, Don. Go. Whatever do you, what do you want? What role do you want to play? Whatever you want to do. I wouldn't have been prepared for that. I would have been like, uh, crap. I don't know where to start. So, I mean, don't overreach there, you know, look for small ways that you can impact your company. And really it starts with what you do on a day-to-day basis, how well you do it and how you lead your team. Diana. I want to tie into that a little bit. I think having conversations about what an employee wants doesn't mean that you have to give them that, right? I think there are many times when an employee, I'll give an example. This employee during a check-in was like, I want to be VP of HR. And I was like, okay, cool. You don't show up to work three days a week. <laughs> like, how do you think that's going to, how do you think, how do you think your time and attendance is going to affect your goal of becoming the VP of HR? And so it still opened us up for having really good conversations and saying things like, okay, what do you think it would take to be the VP of HR? Like what thing, what skills are you going to need? What things are you going to want to do? I'll work to get you there. But in the meantime, you got to work on these things too, because that's going to affect you getting to your ultimate goal. So I think it it still opens up to really good conversations. And that person by the end was like, oh yeah, I, I, I guess I do have a lot of yeah. things I want to work on or a lot of things I need to work on. Yeah. These conversations sometimes are filled with tough love from managers at the same time too, not to discourage them, but maybe to help them become more aware if we're talking about certain amount of emotional intelligence there and maybe what role they could play in their own success as well, instead of just being tapped on the shoulder to say, yep, go and do those wonderful things. So we're trying to build that up from the inside out. So we've talked about the organizationally, we've talked about from a manager's perspective, we talked about from the employee's perspective uh, there, this idea of the hit, the, the talent myth, the talent, this great talent shortage there, but we would just encourage you before your first impulse move to go look outside Look and see what you're working with on the inside there. You have a great opportunity in front of you to build a more engaged team. The culture that you're hoping to hire out is probably sitting and waiting for you to tap it on the shoulder and build it from the inside out. Like they probably want to do that with you. Everybody wants to get up and go to work in a job that they feel super satisfied with, that they feel like they made an impact, that they feel like they had an opportunity to work within their strengths. And I think for the most part, and I I don't know if it's most, maybe it is most, a lot of people are going through the motions because they're not 100% sure on what else that they need to be doing, what else you want them to be doing, uh, what else can I be doing, those types of things. And so I think it starts with the conversation. Let's give a quick tip as we are wrapping up today's episode of the talent myth here. Who'd like to start? Diana. I think my tip is to seek out feedback from others. I know it's really difficult to ask those questions and see how you're progressing in certain areas, but unless you're asking the question, I don't think you'll know what your strengths are. Because it's not easy to totally know your strengths all the time. So I think when you ask for feedback and get genuine feedback from people, it will help you see where you are innately good at things and things you might want to put to the side and not focus on as much. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Diana. Who's next? Don. I think that a point about all of this is, first of all, as a manager, you the talent's all around you. You deserve to have great talent on your team. As the employee, you deserve to have that talent, to be able to leverage that talent, to use that talent. But those things aren't just because both sides deserve that doesn't mean that it just happens. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it requires work. It requires conversations. It requires exploring. It requires that you do some of the basic things first of having a good attitude of treating your employees well to, to be able to get deeper into this idea of playing chess. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Don. 
I think, yeah, Bethany, go ahead. I would say probably just, I mean, from the employee's perspective too, don't be afraid to have those conversations. Don't be afraid to bring it up to your boss. I think, you know, Matt, you started to ask that before of what if my boss just never asks me those questions? I think that's okay. I think you can still bring it up and, and entertain the conversation. But to Don's point too, I think, and to even Diana, like, you have to make sure that you're doing a good job at the job that you have though, too. Um, because I think you have to establish a little bit of credibility for yourself before you can even jump in and say, Hey, I really want to do, you know, X, Y, Z, but like Diana said, but I know I'm late to work, you know, three days a week. So, so yeah, kind of doing your due diligence, but, but, and you bring the, bring up the conversation, um, and voice your voice, your thoughts there. Thanks, Bethany, Mary. Yeah, I would think one of the things that you know companies can do is when they hire employees, they can explain to them why they hired them, what what their skill sets were. You know, sometimes as people, we don't really always know what our strengths are or our skills are until we take like a strengths finder test mm-hmm. or somebody has those conversations with us. And even then, your strengths can change over time. So having that conversation and say, hey, here's why we brought you on and here's what we think you're great at. And what do you think you're great at? And really finding that alignment between the two, I really think engagement would just flourish from there. Awesome. Thanks, Mary. I I think for me, you know, uh, Bethany brought up the idea of this talent review. Are you having those regular conversations with your people, whether it's a talent review, an employee check-in, whatever you want to call it, are you creating the space for that conversation to happen? And are you creating a space on your team for awesome to happen? Right, giving the, those people the opportunities to be able to do some of those things that that maybe they say that they're capable of doing. We don't have to just fully jump in and say, you know, if they do say like, "I like sales," great, you're the new director of sales. Like, give them little pieces first and let them prove themselves. And maybe they don't like it after they do it, and give each other grace there. But but having that that regular cadence, the talent reviews or the check ins, is a great place to to be able to find some of that stuff out. Thanks for listening to this. If you have other topics that you'd like to uh, listen to, uh, Diana, how do they share those with us? Just have to email us at morethanwork at peopleccg.com. I love it. So this this was an interesting topic and timely topic. And if there are others that you'd like to hear, let us know. If you have questions about this one, let us know that too. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the podcast with your friends. We love it. More Than Workers, have a great day. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the More Than Work podcast. Join us next time. And in the meantime, lead well.